All right, greeting everybody. So I know it's a session right before the cocktail hour and the party, so we'll try to make it lively. Uh, my name is Clive D'Souza. I, I head the global BD team for Service Catalog. And today we will discuss with you how to architect and design an end-to-end -end enterprise art, um, IT infrastructure management using Service Catalog. And we'll also spend some time talking about an integration with ServiceNow. And we'll have on stage two senior executives uh, uh, from the technology uh, CTO office of Fannie Mae. Uh, what I want to be able to do today is essentially set the objective. You know, we'll focus a lot on how the customers actually leverage AWS services uh, with ServiceNow platform as a platform to actually, uh, you know, spin up the resources. The technology discussion in today's entire presentation will hover a lot on how AWS Service Catalog is covered and how it implements and plums into the ServiceNow. From a key takeaway, what we will essentially walk through, uh, and I, you know, Fannie Mae team will walk through, is some of the challenges they faced, how AWS Service Catalog essentially was used to manage the resources, and how they started using that to scale, right? Um, the things which we will focus a lot on is the DevOps environment, and how the agility, and how the standardization and controls mattered. So one of the things which we are learning more and more, especially in highly regulated industries, banking, healthcare, certain uh, DOD uh, uh, implementations is the need for having extremely well-architected and highly policy-enforced mechanisms. And we'll talk a little bit uh, deeper into that. So what I want to spend the next uh, few minutes today is kind of give a very high-level overview of service catalog today. This is not a service catalog deep dive. It is essentially to whet the appetite and set the stage of how service catalog essentially connects in the enterprise IT architecture, if you will. When you look at any enterprise today, right, it essentially boils down to two personas. On the one end, you have the organization, and on the other hand, is the actual consumers of that products which the organization actually vends, right? What an enterprise IT architect or a cloud center of excellence really cares about is a blast radius control. In the big scheme of things, it's always like, hey, you guys, in general in the cloud, have hundreds of services. How do we manage them? How do we enforce policies around them? How do you put guardrails around them? That is the front and center concern for an enterprise IT or a cloud center of excellence. From the consumption perspective, and I'll go deeper in a few of the slides, people care a lot about of agility. They want to be able to go right from the whiteboard to the keyboard in minutes. They actually want to move away from the construct of saying, hey, for my DevOps or for my CI-CD pipeline or for my EMR pipeline, I don't have to go and request to the enterprise IT resourcing or procurement a stack of servers, a stack of software, which they'll take six weeks to go and procure. And if all good, I might just have it up and running in two months. What we are now seeing is essentially requirements saying that, hey, I want to be able to go log in right from a console straight away, do a self-service, and get your time to market really quickly. So here is where some of the use cases of service catalog essentially come in. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I want to kind of highlight uh, two of them today. One, essentially centrally managing the IT uh, overall service lifecycle, and the integration with ITSM tools. Today, we're gonna talk a lot about ServiceNow implementation and how the integration is done. Uh, Putting a forward-looking uh, lens, if you will, you know, watch the space closely. Uh, AWS will make a few more changes here, and we will be announcing a few more products later. We'll talk about the um, 
integration with other um, ITSM tools too. So here is where essentially from the benefits we come down to, right? On the left-hand side, essentially from a configuration perspective for the cloud center of excellence or the cloud office, if you will, what the cloud architects really care about is standardization. And I'm gonna spend some time talking a little bit about here. What happens today is if somebody logs on to an AWS console, or for that matter, any cloud console, your development staff is all of a sudden exposed to 3,000 or 5,000 or as many number of resources they have. And next thing you know, they spin up a whole bunch of resources, you have drift, you have no control, and pretty soon, in addition to having a billing issue, you also are not compliant on a policy, you're not compliant on standard images. What service catalog essentially entails and allows you is you can decide using you know, any of the many mechanisms like a hub and spoke model, you can have one specific version compliant to a specific policy. If it's in healthcare, it'd be HIPAA compliant. If it's in financials, we can talk about the ITAR and SOC2 compliant. And there are ways to enforce that, and we'll talk a little bit deeper on that. And which kind of leads to the next one is to enforce consistency. How many times uh, you know, have you heard a developer saying, hey, I didn't really know I'm not supposed to spin up V1 as opposed to V1.1, right? Or for that matter, how many times have you heard uh, enterprise telling you, like, well, we have multiple versions of software, and next thing you know, you have a break in your stack. With service catalog, you can enforce the consistency. The way we have seen customers essentially uh, enforce that is you can decide which image needs to be essentially proliferated in your entire organization from a central node. What you do is you go and pick one image, you set the constraints on it, and we'll talk a little bit deeper on what constraints are, and that is the only image the users will have access to. That is the only image they can deploy, and you can lock that down. And that kind of goes through limiting the access. Today, what service catalog essentially entails, in addition to access, it's, it's also kind of a security mechanism. You won't even be able to get to the actual console without having the right set of tags and constraints enforced on you. So in service catalog today, the way the implementation is done, it is based on an assumed role. It's not a per user, not a per account. So everyone launches as a specific role. And the way the users are essentially, you can then set the constraints on them. It can be a dollar-based or it can be threshold-based. So an example would be, hey, if you're on the DevOps environment, you're not allowed to have, I'm gonna make a number up, $50,000 worth of EC2 instances spinning up in a month, right? Or if you want to do a BYO clampdown, you can set a constraint which says that you cannot have more than n number of specific instances running, right? So you can set those constraints at an enterprise-wide level. Essentially kind of gives you the you know, guardrails and a blast risk control. The other thing which we have enabled in Service Catalog, uh, starting this year, actually uh, six weeks ago, is enforced tagging. Generally, what we have done and we've heard from people is if you want and deploy something in the cloud, you want to have an audit trail. So with tagging, you have a key value pair, and there's two ways to do it. One is essentially it's a free form. You have your own tag. It could be a cost center, or it could be a department, or it could be a spe specific uh, uh, you know, custom tag. And then you can define the value it has. So using a Lambda function, then you can actually go and enforce those specific constraints on a complete stack. And then you can write audit trails, and you can see what gets launched by whom and when. So it enables that, right? From a consumption perspective, if you look at it, it gives the developers the autonomy. They no longer have to go and wait on an you know, enterprise IT procurement to go and, hey, set me a LAMP stack or set me a, a, a specific Linux version. They just log into the console, they see it, it's a self-service, one-stop shop, and next thing you know, they can automate the deployments. 
The other thing which Service Catalog enables, essentially, is if you look at it, it through a command line interface, you can actually set up your entire IAM uh, uh, policies. And it's automated. And essentially, you don't have to do it outside as a standalone IAM function, because Service Catalog is built on top of IAM. So by default, all your user roles, all your security group gets set up for you when you set the users on Service Catalog. And uh, Raghu's going to talk about that later in his uh, pitch here. So a few terms I want to differentiate here, and I'll call it out. Um, we define, within the realm of Service Catalog, product as anything which can be launched. This could be something as simple as an EC2 instance, or it could be an entire application stack. You could have your own operating system. You could have your own uh, EMR. You could have your own database. You could have your analytics, and that's an entire stack, right? And then when you talk about constraints, those constraints can either be set at a product level or they can be set at a portfolio level. And think of your portfolio essentially as a folder in the cloud. So when you're doing entire network topology or you're doing entire enterprise IT architecture, you could have, the way we have seen, one of the models is you'll have multiple portfolios, and within those portfolios, you can decide what products go into it. You can version control it, you can rev it, you can put exactly what constraints you want from a consumption model, and that goes into the portfolio. And then when you provision that specific portfolio and you launch it, that's when you have a provision product. So essentially what this gives you is a mechanism to create multiple different versions of a specific product portfolio deployment within all the various groups, right? Some of the models we have seen is a DevOps will have their own implementation. If there are specific model or versions of software you want for the financial team or the HR team, you get the idea. They can't start splitting it. So that's you know, those four terms, and these will come up over and over again during the presentation. Um, so people always ask us, hey, you, know, you have service catalog, and it, it, you know, it's primarily built on CloudFormation. Why can I not directly use CloudFormation? Yes, you can. But here is what service catalog essentially entails. right? When you look at what service catalog pretty much puts together as a complete package, is it gives you the ability to set your user groups. It gives you the ability to set up your accounts and all the other you know, products I talked about. Essentially, it gives you a service which will always stay on track in tandem with the many services AWS launches. And the way we are positioned essentially service catalog today is it is the gateway into AWS. As of today, you know, we have a little over 100 plus services and we do launch quite a few services every year. So the advantage of using service catalog is you don't have to plumb into individual services. So when you have service catalog by default because we're built on CloudFormation, we support YAML, and we will automatically plumb into all the AWS services. So with that, what I want to do over now is quickly transition to Fannie Mae. And a quick plug before we uh, you know, transition out here. So Fannie Mae started the journey on this particular project a little over 12 months ago. So today what we have is we have two of the senior executives from the CTO office, David Baldwin and Raghu, will come and talk to you about their experience. I'm mic'd up. Can you guys hear me? Excellent. So uh, thank you, Clive. That was, a good, that was a good starting point. So we're with Fannie Mae. I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. I'm actually the uh, head of enterprise architecture at Fannie Mae, and I also just so happen to run our cloud engineering practice. And uh, you know, essentially what we've done at Fannie is we, we sort of launched into our cloud journey, our public cloud journey, um, 
using the enterprise architecture practice as a way to kind of incubate the service. So started this journey about a year ago, as Clive mentioned, and, uh, and we're making some progress, and we're going to talk to you a little bit about that. This is Raghu. Thanks, David. Yeah, my name is Raghu Balari. I'm the director for um, Enterprise Service Management Technology. So this is the um, ServiceNow uh, platform, the uh, configuration management database, as well as the infrastructure reporting. Excellent. So um, a little bit about Fannie Mae. So uh, I don't know if everybody knows you know, what, what Fannie Mae does, but basically we're in the mortgage industry. I think most people probably know something about that. Um, but we're traditionally not a lender, so we don't, we don't actually uh, provide loans to customers or borrowers. Um, we actually work in the secondary market, making sure that lenders have the ability to have liquidity and, and, and capital so that they can lend to borrowers. Um, so as a result, you know, what's interesting about us is we're a B2B company. We're not necessarily a B2C company. We have a fairly um, small, we're a fairly small size, so we actually have the ability to do a lot in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, making a difference. I would say if you took the entire IT practice, and, or actually the entirety of Fannie Mae, and, and, and compared us to like a larger company, one of the big financial firms, you'd probably put us in a division. We'd just be the mortgage division. So the, the nice thing is it gives us the ability, being kind of small and nimble, to, uh, to launch into new technologies and kind of do it right. And we can also get some consistency because you know, we don't have to convince 100,000 employees to do it the same way, right? We can, we can actually convince about 7,000 employees to do it a particular way, and, and we get some leverage out of that. So a little bit of background here. So Fannie Mae, I guess the mortgage industry as a whole is trans transforming quite a bit. The, I guess the old practice of getting a mortgage used to be you, you went out with a real estate agent and you looked for a house. And when you found the house that you liked, you would go to a lender and you start talking about whether or not you can afford that house, how much money you need, you know, what your down payment might be, and, and, sort of that's, and, and sort of how much your monthly payment would be. As things change, and you've probably seen this, nowadays, borrowers, people who are looking for you know, homes, they actually go and they get pre-qualified before they even select a home. And so quite often, they're walking around knowing very much how much money they can afford you know, and how much, a house, how much house they can buy and that sort of thing. And so what that's done is it's driven a big change in sort of how the mortgage industry um, you know, impacts buying and selling houses. And so as a result, we're, we're in a business now where lenders need to get pre-qualifications. They need to get you know, sort of the, the, the loan process itself done a lot quicker so that they can remain competitive. So Fannie Mae is actually sort of embracing that by we've, we started, I guess, about a year ago with a digital transformation. And, and that's probably not too dissimilar from any, any major enterprise today. Um, but we've actually gone gung-ho in terms of, you know, we've arranged our products as products. Um, we have product owners, um, which is quite a different model than the old traditional, you have a business owner and an IT owner. Now we have a product owner. The product owner actually sets the sort of budget and the capacity and works through the customer journey and, and, and determines what the product needs to do to deliver more value to the customer. And, um, and as we do that, we have agile development teams on the back end that are essentially have been spun up. And, and their goal is essentially to get the fe new features added, get the new products to market, and do it in sprints. And so where F Fannie Mae used to be, you know, was a traditional company where 
you know, if we got some requirements, we would then do a design and then we would do a, a build. And uh, that whole project itself might cost a lot and it would actually have a long cycle time. Today, we're talking about, you know, MVPs, you know, we're, we're actually trying to deliver feature sets, you know, in one month from the idea coming from the customer to a plug and play API that we're developing to our customer. And as we make that transition, this is where we started to kind of think about leveraging the cloud. Because in a traditional infrastructure, you are kind of, you're, you're able to move faster in terms of development, but then when you hit a glitch, like a server goes down and your development environment can't come back up for a day, or, you know, or if you run into a problem getting your environments provisioned, you know, you could end up in a situation where you could burn two sprints, right? just getting infrastructure provisioned, right? So, so Fannie, to overcome that, we started to go down this path of using the cloud. As you start to think about this, you know, we really start to get into this mindset of developers want to go fast, production operations people want to be safe, security wants to be safe, and so we had to figure out how to balance that. So we wanted to open up this cloud capability, this set of cloud capabilities through Amazon and frankly, some of our other you know, Salesforce vendors and, and companies like that. But we wanted to do it in a way that was safe, where we could actually build out the security. We could build out you know, the resiliency that we need. We could build out um, standard patterns and that sort of thing. In our traditional way that we looked at enterprise architecture, our enterprise architecture team would develop patterns. I think probably companies are fairly familiar with the idea of a pattern using that pattern against your use cases and kind of, you know, getting people to standardize and do things the same way. The problem is, or actually, you know, I guess the issue with that is, is that's kind of PowerPoint architecture. And when you, when you do it that way, what happens is you, you're, you're, you sort of have a hit or miss as to whether or not people will actually use it. And, uh, and frankly, they don't get a lot of value out of that piece of paper, and it's very hard for them to implement. So what we did is, is we went down this path, um, working with ServiceNow, working with uh, you know, Amazon and their service catalog, working with cloud formation, you know, working with a lot of different capabilities. We went down this path of not only setting up patterns, but basically codifying them and making them available through our service catalog so that people could um, you know, sort of leverage that happy path and make it really easy to consume so that they could, you know, we had a high degree of probability that people would get value out of the patterns and they would do things in very consistent ways, right? And so we've been doing that now for quite some time. Um, a lot of our goals were really, we were thinking about this from an ITSM point of view, you know, thinking about the operational aspects. Um, we were thinking about the security aspects. We were thinking about, you know, if we do this right, how can we manage our governance, inclusive of our billing, you know, inclusive of our provisioning processes, and those types of things. So Ragu is going to get into this in a little bit, but you know, he'll talk to you through the next level. But just understand, we're a big, we're a big ServiceNow shop. That's how we do our IT uh, sort of incident management. It's how we do our change management. Um, and, and it's how we do our provisioning and that sort of thing. In fact, frankly, at Fannie Mae, it's how you order a pen. It's how you order paper. It's how you order a phone. You know? so, so we're a big ServiceNow customer. We've been doing this uh, transformation to ServiceNow probably for the last couple of years. And what we wanted to do as we got into this Amazon journey is we wanted to make sure that all the people that are comfortable with these processes in Fannie Mae that, that understand how to open up a ticket you know, and, and manage a ticket when you actually have a problem, you know, the people who wanted to order new services, 
we wanted to give them a consistent feel. Because at the end of the day, we're an enterprise. You know, we're not going to use just cloud. You know, we're going we're to have on-prem capabilities probably over the next five years. So our expectation is that we want to give our customers, you know, which are all the people around us, a similar look and feel and a similar customer experience. So that's, that's really where we, we got into this. I'm um, going to talk a little bit about this uh, ServiceNow-based solution. You know, there are probably lots of products and things that we could have bought to help us integrate this whole solution set. Raghu will talk you through it. Um, what we did is we used the best of Amazon, you know, the best capabilities that we could, we could get from Amazon, um, some of which were just described through the service catalog. We used the best capabilities we could get with ServiceNow, and we frankly just created some of our own integrations. Um, the, uh, the places that we integrated you know, first is we started out by integrating the provisioning process itself. Um, we leveraged Amazon's tagging and things like that so that everybody that provisions uh, a new environment in Fannie Mae, they just go to the catalog, they pick an environment. I think we'll show you a demo of this, but they, um, they get consistency, but they also, we tag it. So we, we, we know, you know what application this is associated with. We understand what cost center, who's paying for it. Um, and, and we understand what monitoring group's going to end up supporting it, and all these types of things. We try to get that on the front end, because we know that if it's already been deployed and, and we try to go get people to do that later, they just won't want to. There's not a lot of interest in doing so. So we do that on the front end as you go in, and what we're able to do is really automate that provisioning, get that tagging in place, and then on the back end, and we continuously get more value out of this every day, but on the back end, we feed it into our CMDB, um, and, and we can quickly run reports. So we have reports on you know, billing. We have reports now on um, you know, what's really come up lately when we go into optimization and try to get a little bit more value in terms of RIs, shutting things down, things like that. We can pull up usage reports. And we understand we can kind of hold people accountable. I can, I can go to any group in Fannie Mae and tell them what they're paying and for what and how they're using it and whether or not they could optimize their experience and, and do the right thing to save us a little bit of money. So we've gotten a lot of value out of it, and I think it's really because of the way we, we, we integrated this ecosystem together. This is yours. At this point, I'll give it to Raghu so that he can talk a little bit about the details. Thank you, David. So, um, you know, David talked about um, the closed-loop process that we have built in essentially from an intake process, right? Now, what we have with this is essentially something that's um, well-controlled, uh, well-orchestrated, automated, and uh, it's a one-stop shop intake for um, AWS provisioning in the enterprise, right? At the same time, you know, this allows us to do proper pipelining, demand management, and, and the whole nine yards. So, um, you know, a uh, couple of things before I dig in. Uh, what I'm going to do is um, maybe take it one level down, uh, both from a provisioning standpoint as well as the integration standpoint, and then uh, the ITSM, how we are enabling that. Um, but before we do that, a uh, couple of things. One is uh, you see the keyword, my services. That's just um, the Fannie Mae branding for uh, ServiceNow. So we use that word um, interchangeably. And then, uh, two, uh, for um, folks who uh, are not familiar with ServiceNow, it's um, you know, um, platform as a service that we use for our uh, IT service management platform. Uh, we have uh, incident management, change management, problem management, knowledge management, um, as well as uh, CMDB, which is the uh, configuration management database where 
Uh, we are housing all our um, application information, infrastructure information, and more importantly, the relationships between, between those, right? So, um, but then um, something that is very pertinent to this session is we also have service catalog on, uh, on ServiceNow. So um, we, um, I do have a demo. It's a three-minute three demo, and uh, we'll kind of have a sneak peek of uh, the My Services intake process uh, that we have. Um, but uh, before I do that, uh, let me just discuss at a high level uh, four things, right? So one is, um, you know, in terms of um, the intake process, and David touched upon this, uh, we are collecting upfront all the information that we need so that we're able to do this governance very well. And this is about um, uh, requester, obviously, that's there, the type of infrastructure service that they need, uh, whether is it provisioning, deprovisioning, uh, obviously, there is cost to it, so the budget and the cost center. Um, at, at the same time, um, you know, the alert groups, the AD groups, and so forth. So we're getting all that information up front. We're able to tag it so that we're able to uh, process and keep it to enable a whole, whole bunch of other um, processes down the road. Number two, um, we have a robust, um, you know, approval process, right? Um, it's, it's very important that um, it's not a free-for-all, you know, just about anyone uh, getting access and provisioning information. Uh, it's about uh, the right folks um, requesting the right kind of information. So uh, within, within this process, we have approval for the supervisors, you know, the directors approve it, uh, obviously because of the budget information. And uh, in fact, uh, David's team, uh, they do a lot of, um, you know, sanity checking just to make sure that it's the right set of um, uh, patterns that folks are, are requesting. The number three is, um, um, I mean, obviously AWS, uh, there's a ton of uh, services that, that are getting uh, provision uh, that are be, being made available. And uh, quite frankly, it's going to be incredibly hard for us to make everything available. Um, so David talked about the uh, codifying of the patterns and the things that, are, that uh, we believe Fannie Mae users would need it. So those are the patterns that we make available within the service catalog. Right? Um, at the same time, you know, uh, the, David's team is constantly looking at additional services that are needed, and, uh, and we may make those available within the service catalog. I mean, the good news is uh, as soon as, you know, we, we know that we want to enable a certain service, you know, in a matter of minutes, we're able to uh, make it available within our uh, service catalog so that folks can uh, take advantage of, um, of this. So here's the three-minute demo. Let's go through this standard stack technology, architecture deployment models based on atomic infrastructure patterns for all common application use cases. These patterns addresses technology that is used to deploy an application like compute, network, storage, etc. These patterns also address infrastructure and application deployment needs that has high availability, scalability, resiliency, recovery, and security. Penime has developed an internal enterprise application called MyServices, which is our branding for ServiceNow platform technology. This ServiceNow application is our IT service management platform. This also enables, monitors, and enforces proper IT governance that is required for AWS infrastructure to control high-risk actions and to monitor and audit for a rigid regulatory compliance. Fenime application teams log on to my services, and based on their requirement for a certain atomic infrastructure pattern, 
to choose the needed resources from the service catalog request and send this request for approvals. For this demo, I will select commissioning as the request type. This populates the predefined atomic infrastructure patterns we have available for our users. Teams can select one or multiple items based on their business need. They are then required to enter the application name for their request and provide a short name. They are also required to enter the cost center that will support their request and define the environment they need the application deployed. They are then required to select one of the predefined web applications as well as the server size. They are also required to enter minimum and maximum number of servers they need for their application. Once all the fields have been populated, an estimated cost is presented to the user. They can then select one of the predefined business justifications for their request and simply click Order Now to process their request. Once the application team's AWS infrastructure request has been approved, then it is placed into My Services database, which is then pulled by Lambda service to REST API. This Lambda service then either commissions or decommissions the infrastructure. The status of this is reported back to My Services to REST API, and My Services then notifies all stakeholders for that request. We actively collect config data on all AWS resources that have been deployed and transform the collected data and import it into our ServiceNow CMDB. Users of this CMDB data then run reports and other visuals as needed. So that, that's the um, you know, quick sneak peek in terms of you know, how we have the AWS intake uh, process, right? Um, uh, what we have essentially done, and hopefully you've seen it, is really consumerizing the experience you know, at the enterprise level from an AWS intake standpoint, right? But we do that um, by making sure you know, the, all the controls are there so that we're able to go on it. Um, I, can, um, I can tell you, um, we started, I mean, David and Clive alluded to it, we started this uh, ironically last year around the same time. And um, um, you know, we do have daily reports that we check. And this morning when I came here, uh, I checked the report, and we had, um, believe it or not, uh, 870 um, uh, infrastructure provisioning and deprovisioning requests that we have processed through this um, um, uh, you know, process. Now, of that, um, uh, we, we process this uh, across various lifecycle environments. This is dev, test, acceptance, and production. And of those, um, 91 were production AWS services. Right? And um, I can tell you, um, uh, it's been a phenomenal journey in the sense that we have been here uh, at Fannie Mae for 12, 13 years uh, working with on-prem systems. With this process, as well as the power of AWS, um, it's, it's uh, unbelievable for us to have you know, this kind of volume that we were able to push through the, uh, through the system. So uh, just going a little bit deep in terms of how we do this architecturally um, uh, from a provisioning, uh, deprovisioning standpoint, um, at the top is uh, the Fannie Mae users. Um, bottom left is um, uh, ServiceNow, which is our platform as a service for uh, ITSM. And then on the right side is our uh, AWS uh, Public Cloud for Infrastructure Service. And uh, I hope uh, you can kind of follow through the numbering scheme there from a flow standpoint. We have uh, application teams coming into uh, our portal ServiceNow for um, request intake, and uh, they input all the information uh, that we talked about. 
it goes through the, uh, the robust uh, approval process uh, that I discussed. And then on the um, ServiceNow side, we have a, um, a table for AWS where we stole all these um, requested, all the intake process uh, information. And uh, Clive kind of touched upon this, you know, all of this information, we store it in uh, key value pairs. So uh, it's easier for um, the subsequent process to pick it up. On the Amazon AWS side, uh, we have a Lambda function uh, which is regularly you know, polling our uh, ServiceNow table for AWS, and um, it, it acts on any requ new request that's there. It pulls all the key value pairs for that particular request, and then uh, obviously it's, it's done through the uh, AWS API. And then uh, on the fly, depending upon whether it's a provisioning request or a deprovisioning request, it's gonna create a, a cloud formation template and then uh, creates the appropriate uh, uh, action. Uh, if it's provisioning, it, it's going to create the stack. If it is deprovisioning, it's going to delete the stack. And, and all of this uh, happens in an automated fashion. And then uh, once the process is done, there is a, um, you know, a feedback loop that comes back through the REST API, updating the status within the uh, ServiceNow table to indicate that the process has been completed. And then lastly, we close the loop by, um, uh, by the trigger that actually generates an email back to the user to indicate that um, you know, their, their request has been completed. All of this, uh, once the approval is done, is done in a matter of minutes and hours, right? And this was something that used to take uh, days, um, and, and we were able to do it, um, you know, completely hands-free fashion, lights-off fashion, uh, in a matter of minutes and hours. I think we'll take the questions at the end, if you don't mind. Right. So uh, moving along, um, again, on the left side is the Fannie Mae um, ServiceNow um, setup, and the right side is uh, Amazon AWS infrastructure setup. Uh, I just discussed the top portion of it. Now, uh, it's, it's one thing for us to create the appropriate infrastructure, but it's very important for us to make sure that the right set of folks are accessing the infrastructure that they requested, and they're doing the right set of things and nothing more. Right? So uh, we have um, a federated trust established between uh, the IAM service within AWS with the um, Active Directory uh, federated service within Fannie Mae. And um, so through this, uh, the authentication and the authorization happens through the uh, ADFS, uh, through a SAML-based uh, mechanism. And then, uh, given the fact that you know, we have all the uh, infrastructure that's there uh, within, within cloud, uh, this is um, no different than our on-prem application, so it's very important that uh, you know, we monitor it. So we have uh, CloudWatch enabled within AWS for all the um, uh, infrastructure components and services that we have in Amazon. But we use uh, 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 a NetCool-based enterprise monitoring system. So uh, given the fact that during intake, we also have uh, alert groups, the appropriate support groups, and, and uh, the people that who need to be called our page. So we take all that information, and uh, CloudWatch pushes it to NetCool, and we're able to uh, page out, email out folks. And given the fact that we have incident management system within ServiceNow, on the fly, we're able to generate an incident ticket and, uh, and then push to the right set of folks. So uh, the second part uh, that David touched upon is, uh, you know, bringing all this information back into a configuration management database and enabling uh, our, um, you know, incident problem and more importantly, change management, right? I talked about how, um, given the fact that even though these applications are in cloud, they need to go through our Fannie Mae change management process. So we, um, for our traditional on-prem applications, we have um, 
uh, another vendor's discovery tool uh, where we scan our entire Fannie Mae network. And what we found, uh, it's a fairly robust tool, but what we found was, um, given the fact that you know, it doesn't have access to AWS, it doesn't necessarily have the uh, um, reach to get all the information. And two, uh, there's a ton of information that we are building within AWS for Fannie Mae, so it's incredibly hard for us to actually get all that information. So we um, came up with a unique solution whereby we leverage AWS um, native um, config APIs and, uh, and developed an integrated solution so that we're able to bring all that into a CMDB. So this is a uh, um, higher level architecture in terms of how we go about doing it. Again, on the right side is the uh, ServiceNow cloud, and then on the left side is uh, all the AWS Fannie Mae infrastructure. And uh, if you follow me through from left to right, uh, we, um, we have two S3 buckets, one for uh, a production and another for non-prod. And what we essentially do is tap into the AWS config APIs um, and, and bring all that information, uh, the output, into uh, these S3 buckets. And we do that on a very regular fashion. We um, have another process that's, um, uh, that's on an EC2 instance uh, that's right in the center, uh, which is uh, acting on this um, you know, output from the AWS config. Now, the output is in a more nested JSON format, so it's incredibly hard for us to read. So uh, this process makes sense out of it and puts it in more in a flattened JSON, JSON format. Then we have uh, a third process, which is um, looking at this flattened row format does a lot of magic using Athena service, is able to extract out all the relevant AWS information and puts into a comma-separated file that we can take it and absorb it to on the ServiceNow side. So there's a lot of magic that we do on the ServiceNow side as well. Uh, there's transform maps that we create so that it's reading the CSV file information and then bringing back uh, down into a CMDB. So one other thing that uh, we do uh, for folks who are familiar with CMDB, um, it's, it's a collection of uh, CI classes, which is a configuration information classes. And as we have approved um, you know, um, services, um, we generate the, we develop, design and develop the appropriate CI classes. So as can be seen here on the right side, we have uh, various CI classes uh, that we have so far. In fact, we, we do have some more uh, newer ones. So uh, the transform map jobs is, is pulling out all this information and feeding it to the right CI classes. Now with this, because change management is, sits on the service now, it automatically, given the fact it has all the information CMDB, it enables our overall change management process. Um, so this aligns with um, um, in a tight process similar to how we have it for on-prem. So with that, uh, let me hand it over to David, and then uh, I guess we'll take questions from there. Excellent. All right, so hopefully that helped you dig in a little bit to how we do it. And we had a lot of options when we did this, and, and to be honest with you, we picked these options. We have, like any company, we have security constraints, and one of the things that came up was cloud to cloud with uh, ServiceNow to AWS integration and how that might be managed and how our InfoSec team might sort of monitor it and meter it. I'm looking at our InfoSec guy over here. But, uh, you know, but the reality is, um, so we went with this asynchronous approach. But as we move forward um, you know, with this, I, I think, there's a lot more possibilities, and, and, and so we're going to launch into things like um, giving our developers access to call the API, and, uh, and frankly, hooking up with sort of their CI/CD pipeline. I'll talk about that, I think, in, in one of our slides here. But as we think about like our CI/CD pipeline, um, you, you know, we're like a lot of companies. We're a Git, Maven, Jenkins shop, 
and, uh, and we're, our expectation is as we start to uh, use Jenkins to deploy, just like we use Jenkins to deploy code, we could potentially deploy the environment. You know? and, and so that's where we're headed. We've actually started piling that already. So what's nice is that this capability that we've created actually gives us the ability to kind of launch into that sort of thing and make life a lot easier for our developer, but, you know, but, but stick to the patterns you know, that, we, that we can support. Um, just to kind of get a little bit into the patterns, you know, the types of patterns we support in Fannie Mae is we sort of, I guess we, we probably have roughly 400 business applications in our firm. So like I said, we're not huge. We're in the mortgage business, we're monoline. Um, you know, as we look at our different applications though, we see the traditional web app type applications where you've got a URL and a browser and that sort of thing. As we move forward with digital, we're seeing a lot of APIs and, uh, and, and we're seeing more mobile interfaces and things like that. But to us, like as we build our pattern, that sort of becomes sort of one tech stack that we can leverage and codify in the service catalog and get everybody to deploy on and make it fairly consistent across the firm. By the way, it's not a one and done. This pa these patterns get updated and refreshed pretty frequently. As you know, Amazon, I think every week it takes us about 10 hours just to catch up on what they've done this week. You know, so, uh, so we have to constantly evolve those patterns and make them more robust and that sort of thing. Um, we enable blue-green deployments so that we can actually get the new patterns to the users um, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, but that, that's sort of how we do it. So we've got patterns on the web app side. We've got patterns on the Java side. We've got patterns for grid compute. That's actually been a big thing of ours, and there was another, con another speech going on um, where, one, where some of our uh, you know, research department users came in and, and, and talked about it. But basically, we've done a huge, um, we've created a huge pattern around Lambda um, that's replacing our on-prem grid comp compute capability and given us the ability not just to run jobs uh, and pay for a whole bunch of infrastructure and have departments fight over who gets access to them, but, but basically, spin up jobs as needed and, and, and use the vast amount of resources Amazon has disposed to us, you know? So the other thing that we're seeing as far as patterns goes, we're seeing a lot of analytics patterns. So it's interesting that just as our API ecosystem's starting to grow, we're also seeing a huge growth in our analytics and, and the types of things that we do at Fannie Mae there. So, so one of the big patterns that we developed in Fannie and we've rolled out through the service catalog is really our, our data lake pattern. And it's a pattern for our an analytics users to actually go out and, uh, and get and promote you know, information in our data lake and actually go use it and, and, and compute jobs and things like that. So, so that's a big pattern as well. So as we sort of evolve, you know, the, the, we get to build things out. We get to you know, make sure that there's consistency in deployment. And the great thing is governance is a lot easier. You know, the governance on our on-prem infrastructure is pretty tough. Governance off-prem, we can, we can really you know, get into how much you pay per hour and, and that sort of thing. So, so with that, I'm going to, I think we only have a few minutes left. So what I'll, what I'll do is I'll get into um, sort of our next steps and then we can open it up for questions. So as we move forward, um, we're going to continue to, you know, invest in these patterns. We're going to continue to try to expose more of our infrastructure to the developers so that they can actually access it through code um, and get more consistency in their deployments. We're gonna you know, continue to do our blue-green deployment model in hopes that patching is no longer something that a big infrastructure organization has to do for us, that frankly users can quickly you know, uh, jump on and, and take their patches themselves. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and we're going to continue to get more information into the CMDB. I think as Amazon services get better, we actually have the ability to get more information from them, which means that we can start to grow um, you know, the information we have and how we use it. So, so that's generally where we're headed, and hopefully it's a little bit about what we've done. And I'll just open it up for a little bit if there's some questions on the floor. And I don't know, did Clive want to come up? Yes. Oh, you can answer that. Yeah, I can answer that. So, um, you know, we have had, um, we had a ton of legacy systems, right? Uh, I mean, this is about, in fact, we talked about the service catalog system. We had an 18-year-old service catalog system on Lotus Notes Domino, right? Um, our uh, incident problem change, CMDB, um, we had uh, remedy-based systems. So we ran a, a major transformation program to transition all that. And... Um, um, you know, uh, we're actually proud to say that we have successfully transitioned all those um, uh, into ServiceNow to the point where we're able to retire all those legacy systems. This is incident problem change, knowledge management, service catalog, and then uh, a lot of innovative solutions, uh, things like this. So we do a lot of uh, orchestration, automation, uh, whole nine yards. So at this This is, uh, I guess, it's difficulty is, um, I guess, heavily loaded word. It was hard uh, but, to get started. Yeah, I think the, the key thing here is uh, uh, what we found from a lessons learned standpoint is uh, we, we tend to jump into technical solution, and it's really about you know, people and process first and getting that right and getting that executive sponsorship and uh, getting the stakeholders bought in. And David talked about how we are very agile-centric, so now we have our business process folks, the standard folks, and the tech folks all in one room going through uh, sprints. So um, we, uh, once we, we started with service catalog, once we did that, we just applied the same methodology to the rest of it. Yeah, but I think the biggest thing, I, I remember when this whole thing started, right? It was so hard to get started. And, and what we were doing is we had so many change types in Fannie Mae. We had so many different service offerings in Fannie Mae. And the biggest thing you can do if you're, if you're heading down this path is go look at that again. Because there's no reason to have the number of change types that we've had. So you kind of have to start by rationalizing what is it that I want to end up with? Like, what are the different change categories? What are the different, you know, in, in, in the Amazon case, what patterns are we going to make available? And really try to dumb that down and simplify it, because if you try to do too many, it, it becomes too complicated. So once you do that, to, to Raghu's point, we actually, you know, just kicked off agile processes, you know, scrum teams. And they went after things independently. So we had a a group that focused on change, we had a group that focused on incident, we had a group that focused you know, on CMDB, and they went off into their scrums, they, they picked their, you know, their MVP, and they started to build off that you know, on a much more, like I said, simplified set of changes and, and stuff to begin with. Does that help? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I mean, the, the one point I want to add and, and is, um, I guess the key mantra is you know, don't boil the ocean and don't do lift and shift, right? So it's really taking a look at the legacy system and the process take a step back, maybe take five steps back, you know, how do you do process improvements, how do you simplify it, and then implement in the system, right? So that's the methodology that we use, and it, it has served us very well. Yes. Can I quickly ask you to actually use the mic here, because we are recording the session, so oh, whoops. for folks to actually you know, <laughs> get value out of it. It's right here. Oh, they gotta go all the way over yeah. there. Thank you, I appreciate that, didn't make you run. No problem. <laughs>
sort of established in the cloud. What does your budget look like next year compared to what it was a couple of years ago when you, before you started with the cloud? So we're only a year into this. And, and so our budget hasn't gone down just because we moved to the cloud. But I can say when, it, when we look at, um, take our grid compute area, right? Um, we had an on-prem, you know, infrastructure that we've been managing and we've got people process and all that kind of stuff around it. And as we start to move that to the cloud, we can see the cost difference pretty significantly. But until you retire the old, right. you don't really get the value. So, so the biggest thing is you're starting to move down this path, and I think you know, we're learning this as well, is you have to understand there's a, what, what they call cloud bubble. And what happens is you're not, as you start it, you're not paying less because you just moved to the cloud. You're actually paying more because you're actually both on-prem and you're in the cloud. And so as long as you address that, that's good. And then the key is to keep focusing on, okay, we're, let's get to the point where we do retire and we see the benefits. We, we have only seen the benefits in a couple areas at this point where I can actually show you a cost you know, benefit. But. Well, there's obviously a lot of production improvements, but somebody's going to say, hey, bottom line, and, and I just wondered if you'd had a chance to look at those. Or, or we, we have forecasts. Or... We have business cases, right. you know. And as they come to fruition and we retire the old, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to measure that better. Okay, thank so, thank you. Yes? I'm wondering how you deal with experimentation, that need, because this, the system that you've described really um, works well where you've got patterns and you're able to codify them, write cloud formation, et cetera. But when you don't know, how do you allow for that particular creativity to take place? You know, that's the biggest challenge we had. Right, and, uh, and, and, and to be honest, I think we kind of started by experimentation, and then we ended up with this process. And, you know, when we started, there were a couple things that happened. Because I actually picked this up after we'd already kind of started heading down the path with Amazon. I picked it up about a year ago, actually a little over a year ago now. And um, when I picked it up, here's a couple things, right? We owed Amazon a lot of money, <laughs> you know? And people were experimenting, they were playing. They, they rung up a big bill. And by the way, nobody in the company knew who was supposed to pay for it. Number two, you know, there was no consistency, right? And, and we ended up building applications. We didn't go to production with them. We, we ended up building applications that we couldn't go production with, right? Because our InfoSec department wouldn't allow it. And, and frankly, when they saw the risk, there was no way to explain why this benefit's going to outweigh the risk, you know? So we ended up starting out there. So what I did when I came in with a team is start to standardize this and, like I said, codify the patterns and make it more accessible. And you see that, that here. As we've gotten into it, though, you're absolutely right. People come back to us and they say, Dave, I don't know if uh, there's a service Amazon just released last week. How can I play with that so I know if it's good, right? So we are right now in the process of building sandboxes for people. But a as you do it, you have to put those guardrails in place. And that's what we've been doing. Um, we're not going to let people build and, and develop real applications just through experimental environments, but we are building a place where they can actually kind of get comfortable with the new tools. The other thing I'd say is, and our, our company's getting some benefit from this, it's called uh, Quick Labs, you know? And so a lot of times when people say, hey, I want to play, I want to experiment, what I realize after talking to them for a little bit is they really just want some training. They want to understand, and they want a place they can play. So we started giving them Quick Labs, and they're actually able to go in and start to understand how to use an S3 bucket and that sort of thing. Without, by the way, exposing us to open S3 buckets with no security policy that, frankly, you know, you know companies out on the street have gotten hit with, right? So, anyway, does that help?
Right. Yes, so, sir. Um, obviously, you started this process a year or so ago. Um, having heard two separate presentations, how do you put those together? How do you take advantage of the AWS service catalog versus what is obviously a very well thought out and architected solution, but it actually bypasses the AWS service catalog altogether? It doesn't, though. Actually, the, uh, we use them together. So, so what we do is we use our service catalog as the front end to all of our customer experience. Mm -hmm. On the back end, we're actually using Amazon's service catalog to deploy the services. Through, calling that through Lambda, or? Yeah, that Lambda function actually calls um, oh, cool. okay, that wasn't, that the catalog. Show yeah. up in the diagram, right? right. Okay. John, John could tell you. There's a different diagram that actually shows it, but I think it's Yeah, yeah we skipped a couple of slides in the interest of time. I have a guy, I have the guy in the, in the audience here who wrote it. That definitely confused <laughs> me. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, any yeah. other questions? Yes. Sure. You mentioned the cloud bubble, as you called it, and then obviously you see where the savings are going to be. What is your horizon for actually seeing that come down? What, what's our horizon? So it depends on which area. So what I've what I've learned is that in the you know, grid-type infrastructure that we use, mainly for our enterprise risk. Enterprise risk management is a big function of a company like ours, and, uh, and they're getting the most value out of Lambda. So I, I'm not going to give you the real numbers, but it, it's really like by the end of 2018, we're supposed to see some significant you know, savings in that area. So two years from start. What's that? Two years from start. And we started a year ago, so yeah. we're literally taking two years to kind of... But understand that our hope is and our intent is that as we prove these patterns out, more and more people pile on and use them, um, then we end up, you know, other people can kind of go faster. Right. right? I guess from a But it'll be two years before you actually see a real savings. Now, now here's the deal. At Fannie, we're not doing cloud just because we want to save money. In fact, actually, that's probably one of the smallest drivers, right? We're doing cloud because, A, time to market, we need it. And it's hard to get that on-prem with a, with, a, with a legacy infrastructure without going out and investing in your own software-defined data center and all these new technologies, right? It, it, and which, by the way, are things that we're doing, but it actually take a lot longer to start up, where Amazon's already done it. Um, the, other thing, the other thing, so, you know, is we're finding that we can do things in Amazon that we can't do on-prem. Like, we have a relatively flat network at Fannie Mae, right? In Amazon, we have a, we have a layered network, and we can actually, it's all software-defined. So we're actually getting better security in some areas for some of our key services. And then finally, we're using it because we're trying to mitigate some of our geographical risk. So if you think about any company has, uh, who, who isn't in the technology business, which we aren't, you know, they, they probably have a data center, maybe somebody else manages it, and maybe if, they're, if they've thought this through, they, they have another data center in another region somewhere, they kind of fail over, fail back. Probably, you know, they test those once every two years, Maybe sometimes those are just paperwork exercises where they do tabletops. You know, in Fannie, we wanted to kind of mitigate that risk. So we, we started to look at Amazon and, frankly, some of our other service providers as a way to distribute our workloads out a little bit and actually get some leverage there. So, so it wasn't just about money. Yeah, but for yeah. my customers, obviously, we're always looking at increasing capabilities on federal. Yeah. But the way the federal budget is and without going into details or anything else. Yeah. It's very volatile, especially for some of the agencies. So one of their things is, okay, when are we going to see the, the you know the, save, the return on investments? Totally fair. Yeah. They never know when they're going to have less money. Yeah, yeah. It takes about two years for something big. 
Again, like I said, you've got to retire the old thing, otherwise you're not getting the value. So, any other questions? No? Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.